That was a nerd joke for the nerds. You're welcome. And if you laughed, now you're a nerd. The <laughs> Um, now, this basically these eighteen verses are a lot about um, hypocrisy. It has a lot to do with like with being a hypocrite. Now, nobody signs up to be a hypocrite, but we all kind of end up there enough so where Jesus was going to take you know these eighteen verses to talk about them. Um, so why is that? Why do we kind of end up as hypocrites? Because it's kind of an inevitability in some ways. Well, I think the root of hypocrisy though people might come off prideful. The root of hypocrisy isn't pride. The root of hypocrisy isn't arrogance. The root of hypocrisy isn't even ignorance. But I think the root of hypocrisy is insecurity. It's insecurity. And who has lived this long without feeling insecure? We all do. All of us feel insecure. I mean, it's like imposter syndrome, right? That ideal, that idea that, like, the feeling you have that you're just inadequate for whatever job it might be. Uh, you're given a work, you're given a, a work, you're given this project, and you're going to proceed, even though you know you don't have the skills to pull this project off, but you're not going to tell anybody that because then you get fired. Um, but you're gonna, And all these other people who might, maybe these are people you manage, and they don't know kind of how inadequate you are either, but you're going to proceed as if you're, you're fine. But that feeling underneath it all is if only these people knew, if only they knew what was actually going on in my head, if only they knew kind of my lack here. And we keep going, and we don't really share those thoughts. Now, that can happen at work, but there's also a spiritual imposter syndrome that we have. If these people only knew what I said to my kid, like what I did last night, the thoughts that I have, what I really think, if they only knew. So we all experience insecurity there. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Insecurity isn't necessarily bad. But the real question is how to respond to it. That's actually where things go. Because we so badly want to belong, we try and seek approval from others. And we can never really get enough. And it's a cycle that leads to more loneliness, not less, and more imposter syndrome, not less of it. And others want this belonging as well. And so it can end up, especially in churches, it can end up in this kind of Cold War arms race where everybody's kind of slowly one-upping each other, but in ways that can kind of be socially acceptable, religiously acceptable, but everyone's kind of like, I'm okay, I'm okay. Uh, and I'm going to prove to you you're okay. And, every, and everyone else is like, oh, I'm okay, I'm okay. I'm going to prove to you I'm okay. And we kind of end up not really talking about what's really going on. When a Cold War is when two countries aren't at war, but they keep on building up arms and armies and tanks and all that kind of stuff to show off their strength. And this happens when we one-up each other, trying so hard to prove something to others. Now, we don't like hypocrites. No one would say, you know who I really love? Hypocrites. They're just super fun to get a pint with after work on Fridays. No, no one likes them. And maybe the reason why we don't like them is because we kind of see a lot of ourselves in that, and we don't really like that to be reflected. But as much as we have a problem with hypocrites, God has a massive problem with them as well. A massive problem, I should say, probably with us as well. And not just Jesus here in these 18 verses, but God throughout the Old Testament. Like, it's kind of a constant theme. So God has identified a problem. We know that problem exists. We know it exists. What God does through Jesus, though, is provide the answer. Instead of trying to prove ourselves into acceptance, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. maybe eventually I'll, then I'll be accepted, although it never actually happens. What happens instead is we get to receive acceptance as a gift from Jesus instead. Jesus frees us from that Cold War arms race of trying to one-up each other. And what Jesus does is he gives us a better, more enjoyable, bigger kind of life to live. And not only that, this is also the only way to God. Jesus doesn't give other options. Like He is the option. God has made the only way to him as a gift that he freely gives. How good is that? It's not like you could either accept this free gift or you could like, you know, work like crazy and be super religious and get it this way. Like, no, he doesn't even give you that an option. That's, that's, a, that's an act of grace. 
Now, if he accepts us outside of our proving and trying and posturing, the focus then is not on what we do, but it's what he's already done for us. And unlike our spiritual imposter syndrome that kicks in, telling us to do more and more and more, Jesus has already said, I've done it. It's finished. It's done. Nothing else has to be done in order for you to be accepted. And from that, we can actually get rest. And from that, we can actually belong in a way where people will truly know who we are. With Jesus, there's contentment, there's joy, there is rest. Those things cannot be found in the life of a hypocrite. Those things are not there. Working like crazy never leads to those things, and it certainly doesn't lead to God. Jesus, through his death, puts to death our hypocrisy. And Jesus in his life allows us to live an authentically kind of spiritual life. Not perfect, but authentic. An authentic faith. Now, wherever you are with Jesus, wherever you are with the church, surely we would all want to be freed from kind of that imposter syndrome and kind of be more of ourselves, right? Surely that's something that we would all want. Who, want, who wouldn't want to be freed from insecurity? Now, this authentic faith is a practice. That means it's an ongoing thing, and there's no kind of performance aspect to it. If you practice a piano, you eventually you know, maybe there's some kind of performance level to it, but that's the same thing with like our faith. It's a practice. There's no kind of performance. It's just an ongoing thing that we do. It's actual regular action. We'll talk about that a little bit more as we go. The three practices that Jesus uses to talk about an authentic faith, though, and there are many, but the three that he kind of focuses in on here are giving to the poor, fasting, and prayer. Now, hypocrisy in each one of these looks like an outward show. It looks like, hey, look how great I am. Aren't I amazing? Aren't I super religious? All looking for human approval. Jesus sees an authentic faith, and, and, or what he says is an, an authentic faith is to practice these so that only God can see, or as if only God is seeing. Basically, it's a very simple principle. Don't show off. Basically, you could boil all what Jesus says in those 18 verses. Just don't show off. Like, just don't do it. That's what verse 1 is about. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. Don't show off. That's what Jesus is saying. In fact, there is an assumption here that our faith will be practiced. It's not just something we'll think about, not just something we'll have good feelings about or like aspire to, but it's actually something we'll be involved in. It's an action and practice with others, not just by ourselves. The idea of a Christian not being connected to a church is not even a, a category in the New Testament. But before we begin, maybe you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5.16, you astute people, you're like, but what about verse 16 says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So other people are supposed to see it, but then other people are not supposed to see it? Like, what's the deal here? That's not even, it's like one chapter later. Jesus is saying not to practice our faith in front of other people. How does this work? Well, what Jesus is actually saying is, uh, well, verse 16 of chapter 5, and if, you look, if we had time to kind of look at the context, but we've already talked about that, um, it's based about one's overall lifestyle. Like, let your life be on display. You're, you don't privatize your faith so that no one actually knows what you believe, and, or don't or basically live it out in the way that you ought to in public. Where what we have here in these 18 verses of chapter 16 are more of like the specific acts of faith. So in those kind of specific acts of faith, you don't need other people to see what you're doing to get a good reward from it. In fact, it's probably better for you not even to know that other people are seeing what you're doing. And really under all of this, whether people are seeing or not seeing, the question Jesus is trying to get at is where is your motive? Where is your heart in all of that? Are you doing this so that other people will see? Because that's hypocrisy that comes out of insecurity. Or are you doing this to worship the Lord? That comes from being freed from our, freed from our insecurity and living out of, out of acceptance. Now, if anything that we talk about here doesn't make sense or you have more questions about, you can always go to that website and anonymously 
put the questions in. But let's get what to Jesus talked about first, which is giving to the poor. Now, giving to the poor was a really big part of Jewish life around this time for Jesus. There was a system in place through giving to the synagogues, and they would organize resources for those who needed it, and also individuals would give as well. It's actually not unlike the connection we have with Reach Out to the Community. So Reach Out to the Community, actually there's the, the, the donation box over there, and we give donations, we give money, we serve, uh, we raise kind of awareness for them, and also we give, if you start a recurring giving plan to Redeemer, 100% of your first gift goes to Reach Out to the Community, and there are also kind of other ways that we try and serve them. Uh, in Christ's day, it was a combination of institutional giving plus individual giving that functioned like a benefit system for everyone who was part of that community, part of that Jewish community. And what actually happened was people gave so much that they themselves would put themselves into poverty because they're giving away so much money and so many of the resources. I have never had that problem. I don't know about you guys. Oh, I'm just giving away so much money. I'm going to lose my house and I won't be able to afford it. I'm going to become homeless. I've never, I've never been that generous. I've just, I'm not that kind of person. I'm very selfish. But the, there was a system that they had to set up to prevent people from going into poverty because they were giving so much. Now, if Jesus is talking about that here, probably something more than generosity is at play. Because if you're trying so hard to one-up another person, you've got to give more and more and more and that's going to be actually harmful for you. It could put you into poverty, and then you can't help anybody in, in your resources. Now, regardless of if you give a lot or a little in your own life, Jesus is saying, don't make a big deal out of it. Don't show off. Think of how hilarious it would be if once somebody put a donation in there, like trumpets started blazing out of the speakers. Like, isn't this great? And then lights go off, and it becomes a little mini rave for like five seconds. That would be hilarious. And that's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. Like trumpets kind of being announced in the streets. So oh, look at this person. They just, you know, donated some money. It's ridiculous to make a comment about how generous you are. And of course, we do it passively because we're very religious and we're very nice and very good. To talk about the time you spent serving God, the devotion that you have, all in order to get human approval. That's how a hypocrite acts. And we know what we're doing when we do it. And when that happens, any approval that you might get by other humans, any approval that you might get, well, that's all the reward that you're going to get. That's it. It ends there. Selfish giving has always been a problem for us humans. Now, that's how hypocrites act. Jesus is saying, not you with authentic faith. You're supposed to act differently. In fact, our ego is so conniving. Sometimes you have to hide the generosity from yourself, like your right hand and your left hand. They have to kind of like act independently so that even within yourself, you're not kind of tempted to use that generosity in a selfish way. Doing anything else is, is not a generous act, but it's a selfish act because you're trying to buy some acceptance for yourself in giving. You're not actually giving, you're buying something by giving. You might be giving something, but you're really just buying something for yourself. Now, the word hypocrite itself comes from this idea of putting on a false face, uh, it, it, uh, like not being your true self. It comes from like the world of theater, um, like an actor on stage instead of a real person in real life. So putting on a false face, is, it's insincere. It's not really who you are. It's inauthentic. It's playing a part. It's making it, whatever it is, about you. And the main tragedy for hypocrites is they are often self-deceived. They try to deceive others, and improving themselves, sometimes, maybe most times, they don't, they don't realize it. One person wrote that they are disastrously self-deceived. They really are doing all the right things, giving, fasting, praying. The problem is they want everyone to know about it. And when you're chatting with a hypocrite, an insecure person who's desperate to belong, that's what a hypocrite is, you will know all the things about them 
They will share glories of their past selves as if it happened yesterday. And in those stories, of course, they're the heroes and they did all this amazing stuff. It is disastrously self-deceived as much as it is desperately in need. And when Jesus says that these people have received their reward in full, that means the hypocrite themselves, they don't feel cheated. They feel like, oh, that's cool. I got a really good reward out of it. But they ought to feel cheated because the reward is so much more than just human approval of what we can get. It underlines a limited perspective. The hypocrites cannot see and have no aspirations beyond the applause of their peers. So Jesus says, well, that's what they do. That's not how you are supposed to live. Remember, he's talking to the Christian community. He's not saying, that's how other people act. Don't worry about them. This is how you're supposed to act in a way that's different. And what we get is the Father's reward. And the Father's reward, as we've been seeing through these, uh, through these messages, is, is enjoying the full kingdom of God. A full acceptance, being freed from imposter syndrome, getting a full embrace from the Lord, we get to be who we truly are because we're working from the firm foundation of God's security. Not out of insecurity, but out of security. So we can tell someone, I don't really have it all together, and then kind of be cool with it and not kind of like, oh, I can't believe I said that. Or actually, we get to even tell that to somebody. We get to tell God that. I don't really know what I'm doing, God. I don't really have my stuff together. And also, I'm kind of angry at you because of this, this, and this. As we are our true selves, our souls can be healthy, they can grow, because we're not busy trying to tend to some false part of who we aren't. Paul in Romans 8.31 said, If God is for us, who can be against us? So understanding at the deepest level of who we are, even in our inadequacy, of which we all have, that God is actually for us, that is incredibly freeing. There's a huge reward for us in the present And there's also reward for us in the future. For those who follow Jesus, we get to be part of his kingdom in the future as well. The new heavens and earth, when all is made new, when everything wrong is set right, when all that's wrong in us will be set right. So there are massive rewards for living in authentic faith. That's giving to the poor. And Jesus next talks about what authentic prayer looks like. Um, Basically, how not to pray like a hypocrite. Again, don't show off. It's a very simple message. It's really hard for us to get. Pray not so others will, not because others will see you. Pray because God sees you. Pray not because others will see you. Pray because God sees you. That means praying out loud isn't necessarily wrong in itself. It's all about in the how. It's, by the way, it's okay to pray out loud. If you're like, ooh, like this, are people allowed to pray out loud? Yes, we're not breaking you know, God's commandments every time we pray out loud. There's an interesting contrast here in that God who sees everything, even when we're alone, by yourself, in secret, he hears everything, all of our prayers. He knows, he's there, he sees. This invisible and all-powerful God is contrasted with this hyper-visible and wannabe religious people. People shouting prayers on street corners. That would be really strange. Uh, I can't even kind of imagine what that would actually be like here. And you may not do that. I don't think anyone here probably does. Like, oh, this doesn't apply to me because I don't shout my prayers in the street corners. You, you, I'm sure you don't do that. Maybe you do. I don't know. But we all have our own versions of shouting our prayers out on the street corners. We all have our own little versions of that. You post something on Instagram so others will think something about you. We can use this coded language as, well, I do this, or we're like this, or my kid's like this. You know, we all use all sorts of kind of prayers. It's what they are. They're sort of prayers in themselves. If not to God, they're prayers to others, desperate to seek the kind of approval that comes from an insecure life. Now, if how you're doing is based on what others think, that is a life of insecurity. And you'll be a slave to that as long as you worship that. And you know, in fact, that's not actually what's going on because you don't know what other people think. And so you're living your life based on what you think other people are thinking. You see how ridiculous that is. And that's how we organize our lives. 
We don't know what other people are thinking. And so we become slaves to the worst version of ourselves and the worst thoughts that others might have about us. And we don't even know if they have it or not. But Jesus gives us a better way. Because you know who God is, because you're secure in his love, in his grace, we don't have to get stuck up in all this. And so how do we pray? Well, we pray with normal words and normal tones, with normal accents, not with a preacher voice that kind of enunciates everything. I mean, especially in like the American South, you just add an extra syllable of everything. Like, oh Lord, uh, do not judge, uh, or you too will be judged uh, for the same way. It's, just like, it's almost like you're out of breath the whole time. And somehow that's like hyper-spiritual. I don't really get it. But you know, it, people have those preacher voices, right? Like if they, if they pray, pray in a group, all of a sudden, Maybe they become a little bit more Southern in their accent or whatever the thing might be. You know, it, we're all weird that way. But some people, when they pray, you also use it as a way to like give notices to everyone. As if it's like information sharing in the group of like, oh God, we know that. And then you enter like a whole paragraph of just information that you just want the group to know. Like just tell the group, oh, we're going to pray about this because of blah, blah, blah. And then we can pray because we're talking to God. We're not talking to each other first. We're talking to God. And you don't have to go on and on. You don't have to use big theological words. You're not there to impress God. I promise you, you won't. <laughs> You're there to talk to him. Prayer is just, talk, is just talking to God. Actually, at the end of this month, we're going to spend two weeks looking specifically at the Lord's Prayer. And we're not going to spend really any time looking at the Lord's Prayer today, but we will get there at the kind of end of the Sermon on the Mount series. But for now, we're not going to focus on what to say, but how we say it. The Lord's Prayer is a lot of like kind of what to say. But this is what Jesus is talking about here. We've got to focus a little bit on how we say it. And I think because of our spiritual imposter syndrome, we sometimes don't pray the way we ought to. Maybe oftentimes we don't pray the way we ought to. We might make prayer performance when it's really just a conversation. When it's just us and God, we might think we have to say certain things the right way. And if we don't, he's not going to listen to us. Or if we haven't lived a certain way that day, then we can't pray because he's not going to listen to us. And if we don't get it right, he's just going to kind of move on. Like, God's actually loving. Can you, can you imagine that? God actually loves you? If you had a kid, and your kid messed up, and that kid at the end of the day said, oh, I don't want to talk to you, Mom, because I'm afraid because I messed up earlier today, and I didn't think you wanted to listen to me. Like, that's ridiculous. Like, you would want, you want your kid to talk to you. That's exactly <coughs> what God wants to do, only on a better level, because he's perfect. And sometimes when we're around other people, like in our missional communities, or, or if we're just around other Christians on a Sunday even, we might be tempted to sound a certain way, to pray a certain kind of thing, to promote ourselves, which is what that is doing, even though, you know, it's kind of reverses humility, but that's basically what it's doing when the whole point of prayer is recognizing that we don't have it all together and we're asking him to help us. I remember there was an elder at our church at uni who really hated long prayers before dinner. I think because he was a leader in the church, and when he went out to like eat dinner with people, I think he felt like some people, how they proved themselves, of like, oh, I'm going to pray really good in front of this elder, and he's going to think I'm awesome. I remember him always saying, don't use my dinner time to make up for your anemic prayer life. Like, if you have a bad prayer life, that's fine, but don't deal with it here. Like, I want to eat. <laughs> and also, because of our imposter syndrome, I think sometimes we just don't pray. So maybe we, like, overpray, and sometimes we kind of minimize it. We just don't. Because of our insecurity, we're scared of possibly getting something wrong. Not because we're scared of getting something wrong with God. Maybe that would betray a level of holiness, but actually what we're really afraid of is getting something wrong with each other. And we're like, oh no, now I'm going to say a wrong word or say something wrong, and then they'll think poorly of me. We're just scared others will think we didn't do it right, so we just don't do it. By ourselves and God, 
we don't pray because we don't think we have what it takes. In our missional community, when it comes time to pray, have you ever been there? It's like, oh, we're going to pray. Any, let's have open prayer time where anyone can pray. And it's crickets. And you're like, this is so awkward and so boring. And it's like 30 seconds of silence. feels like five hours of silence. Like, won't someone just stinking pray? And then eventually someone prays. Like, oh, thank God, they said some words. And I don't really care even what they said because they just prayed and filled up the space. You know, that, I don't know if you've ever had that experience. I've never had that experience. I'm not being... That happens all the time, right? On Sundays when there's open prayer times, and we're like, oh, anyone can pray. There is five people who I know will pray, and everyone else will not. And those five people are actually really good at leaving space for other people to pray. That is a time for us. We, we, we get to do this once a week. We have like, what, an hour and a half or whatever, once a week. We should, if we knew what prayer was, we should be scrambling over each other to pray together. You get to lead our congregation in prayer. I mean, do we, do we even really, do we ever really think of what prayer is? We're talking to the almighty, all-powerful God. And if you're praying, if we have that open prayer time, and you're praying, that means you get to lead our congregation in prayer. It might be that God is calling you to lead our congregation in prayer in that moment. And because you're too scared of getting something possibly wrong, and what is this person going to say, what are they going to think, that we all miss out, and you miss out too. So let's, just, let's make prayer about what it's supposed to be about. It's just a conversation with God. No one's trying to prove anything to anybody. I don't think anyone's ever been impressed with like, oh, did you hear the way they prayed? Wow, they're awesome. I don't think anyone's ever really thought that. But we're kind of think like, oh, maybe I can you know, impress somebody or maybe I could just like, you know, be seen as not lame or whatever the thing might be. Um, also, if you haven't just gone back um, to the back to have someone pray for you, this is something we've kind of or recently kind of been doing every week. If you're, you're missing out to have other people just pray for you. You don't need to have an issue to be back there and get prayer. You can just have someone pray for you. And doesn't need, there doesn't need to be a reason. We just get prayed for. It's amazing. And our reward in being authentically ourselves before God in prayer is many. We get to be our real selves before him. We get to be our real selves before each other. And we all probably want that. We get to grow in closeness with God. And as in a relationship, we get to enjoy prayer more instead of seeing it as like a job or a duty. Ultimately, what we do is we get God himself. We get more of him. And that's, that's a really good thing. To have someone to bring all the overwhelming things in your life to, that frees us from the burdens that we are just not meant to carry. That's the whole point of church being the church. It's a set of relationships, not a service. And in giving them to God, he not only takes those burdens from us, he can actually do something about it in ways that nobody else can. So let's be our true selves before the true God. So we talked about giving money to the poor. We talked about prayer. The last thing that Jesus talks about here, um, in starting in verse 16, is fasting. Now, if giving to the poor in prayer is something that we might kind of maybe easily understand, fasting is maybe something that's probably less well understood. Fasting is going without something, like food, for example, um, for a healthy spiritual life. Like not having sex until someone is married, that's a type of fast. Not eating a meal and using that time to pray or read, that's a type of fast. Going for a week or a month or whatever off social media, that's another type of fast. There's all sorts of ways to do this. It's going without something in order to have a healthy spiritual life. Now, fasting is not a way to manipulate God. Like, God, I care so much about this thing, I'm not going to eat my lunch. Now you need to do that thing that I said. Okay, cool. I twist your arm just enough for you to do that thing that I really want. That is not what fasting is about. That's not what prayer is about. That's kind of how Jesus says, how, how pagans pray. They say so many words, they get try and overwhelm God. to be like, fine, 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 just give you, I'll just give you the stuff. That's not how we interact with the real God. What fasting does is it puts us in touch with our brokenness. It puts us, puts us in touch with our frailty. When you don't eat lunch and fast instead, 
you might feel a little weak. And that teaches us just how weak we are. You go without one meal and all of a sudden you're grumpy, all of a sudden you're super tired, and all of a sudden you feel really weak. That's just going without a meal. That, what, that, what that ought to do is show us spiritually how weak and poor in spirit we really are. Jesus said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, not those who are awesome, those who are poor in spirit. And when we're more in touch with our limitations, we also get to be more dependent on God and his work. The whole world that we live in is set up to avoid limitations. Limits are automatically bad without people th- ever thinking about it. It's, it's, and we wonder why we're kind of burdened and overstressed. Living without limitations is, is, a, is a horrible, damaging thing for our souls. It might be good maybe for some things, like maybe it's good to not have limits on some areas of life. But for our souls, it's really good for us to recognize the limits that we have. That's why Jesus says, when you fast. So he's assuming again, he's assuming this action is going to happen. He's assuming fasting as well as prayer, as well as giving to the poor. So fasting is a normal part of following Jesus, but fasting in a way that doesn't, that doesn't show off. Here's, um, to give a bit of background, what was going on in Jesus's day. So fasting in the Old Testament would um, often happen in response to external circumstances. So either something really good happened, something really bad happened, or there was like a question of like, we're not really sure what to do. And it was a part of prayer to, for that specific external circumstance. Now that got contorted a bit in this kind of relig- religious show-offy kind of way during Jesus's time. And it ended up becoming regular, instead of like responding to what might be going on in our life, it became like a regular time that everyone had to do, uh, basically like a tick box to prove that you were good. And the more you could show how, how horrible you looked because of all the fasting like you're just involved in, like the better, the more religious, the more holy supposedly you were. And the best way to do that is to look miserable. Just like, oh, maybe you didn't even have to fast. Maybe you're just really good at looking miserable. And like, oh, I'm just, your face is gone. You're just like, oh, this is, just life is so hard. In fact, probably our version of that is like showing how busy we are, right? We're just like, oh. It's just, I'm just so involved in so many things. I'm sorry, I'm just too awesome in like 12 or 14 different areas. It's just really tough. You know, it's like, that is not, that is, is that really showing off your inadequacy? No, you're just telling people how awesome you are. No, we have very similar things. Now, some other thing, we can't buy like showy flash kind of things, right? You can't buy something like that. That's not very Christian. It's also not very middle class. We can't have too good of a good time because maybe that's a bit indulgent. Oh, is that religious? I don't know. The early Christians were thought of partiers. They were, they were thought of as drunkards. Not because they were taking drugs or getting drunk, but because they were so overwhelmingly happy all the time, and they hung out with each other all the time. For some reason, we've translated dour to mean holy, but it's really just boring. That's a boring, I don't want to live a life like that. I don't want to be part of a church that, that sees that as a good thing. So let's make Christianity a party again. I didn't bring my hat for that, but I think Redeemer, though, well, I think actually, you know, I think we're really good at this. Uh, and really, when I was thinking about this, like, actually, we kind of, we like throwing parties. We like being around each other. So let's keep that thing going. Let's throw more of those things. Let's be known to be people who are full of joy and full of fun. And when we fast, let's use that as an opportunity of being more in touch with our limitations to bring us more in touch with who we really are and who God is. How ironic to use something like fasting to reinforce a false self of having it all together. It's the complete opposite of what I ought to do. The reward of being seen as holy in fasting is misery. You look miserable, and your gift to others is misery. You get to subject others to your miserable self. Empty religious lives, they're always miserable. But to fast the way that Jesus is talking about means going a bit out of your way to make sure that you aren't showing off. Put some water on your face, get some kind of skincare routine going on, I guess. I don't know. Um, Just basically, don't be miserable. 
And the reward is for those who have authentic faith, bringing your true selves with God and not seeing that as a way to get approval from other people. And as we approach Easter, we will have some opportunities as a church to fast and pray together. And you may not have done that before. Maybe you're like, I still really don't even know what it means. That's cool. We'll have a chance to talk about what that's like. Um, and actually, if you have those questions, now would be a great time to ask your missional community leader of like, yeah, what is the deal with fasting? And if they don't know, well, we can all talk about it together. We'll get more information um, on that as uh, Easter gets closer here. Now, I think through what we've seen through giving to the poor, through prayer, and through fasting, is what Jesus wants is for us to be us. He doesn't want you to be any more than a human being, any more than who you are as a human being. He doesn't want you to be somebody else. He wants you to be you. He created you as you for a reason. And when we try to be someone else, to be something else, we miss out on a few things. The biggest thing is we miss out on an authentic life for ourselves. Others will miss out because we don't get to be our true selves for them. And this leads to us being lonely because we're never actually truly who we are. Nobody really knows us. We also miss out on knowing God. When we're too busy posturing for the sake of others, our eyes that should have been lifted towards heaven and lifted towards God, are now they've lowered and now they're all horizontal, just looking at what's right in front of us. And when we miss out on God, we make a small life for ourselves. We organize our life around what we think other people are thinking. What a shame to go through all the motions and miss it altogether. Now, hopefully through this sermon, what we've all realized is there's different ways that we can all be hypocrites. And if we're honest with ourselves, we do all these things. We're all in the same boat. We're all just a pack of hypocrites, like asking God to love us, right, kind of thing. Now, wherever you are with Jesus, there is an answer to our problem of living an inauthentic life. And Jesus died so that our hypocrisy can be put to death. One of the reasons that Jesus died is he knew how easy it is for us to live the way that Jesus is telling us not to live. He knows how easy it is for us to live this kind of inauthentic life this very religious hypocrisy kind of life. He knows how insecure we can be, and he knows how, how we'll grasp at anything to cover up our insecurity. But only one thing really can cure us. <clears throat> Jesus' death puts to death our hypocrisy. It doesn't mean we're perfect, of course, but it does mean that power of insecurity has been broken. We don't have to rely on that anymore. We will struggle through this, and we'll ask forgiveness as we do. And Jesus didn't just die. He also rose again to new life. This new life for those who follow Jesus is also given to us. Jesus' resurrected life in you through the Holy Spirit is the only hope we can have to live an authentic life. Jesus' resurrected life in you through the Holy Spirit is the only hope we can have to live an authentic life with authentic faith. And without Jesus' death and resurrection, the only hope we can have is to fake our way through to kind of have imposter syndrome, but push it down so we don't really think about it that often. But with his death and resurrection, we get the reward of our Father in heaven. And this is why we celebrate with the Lord's Supper. Is there any more active inadequacy than to say, like, I actually will die if I don't eat and drink? In the same kind of way, this is what we, if I don't eat and drink of Jesus, like, I'm, I'm gonna die. Like, I just don't, I don't have, my soul will shrivel up and it will die. This is something that only Christians are called to do. So if you aren't a Christian, please don't do the very thing that Jesus has warned us all against today. What we'll do in a moment is as we sing, um, we'll take the bread, we'll take the cup in a moment that, that connects with you and the song. And we'll also have people in the back praying for anyone who wants prayer. You can bring something with you or you can just say, uh, I just need some prayer. The bread here is a symbol of Jesus's body. The bread, it was given up for us so that we can give up on ourselves and depend on God to give us what we need. Every time, that's what we get. We get to be nourished by him. The cup is a symbol of Jesus' blood was poured out for us so we don't have to live in insecurity anymore. 
We can get things wrong and that'd be fine. Through Jesus' blood, we're fixed securely in the Father's love, in his embrace, with his reward of the new heavens and earth. Now there'll be people praying in the back and let me pray for us all right now. God, as we bring our hypocritical, inadequate, imposter selves to you, we do want to say that we're sorry. We do want to say that uh, we don't want to stay this way. And we thank you that you change us and you allow us to be able to, uh, to move forward. Lord, we, I pray that we would grasp a little bit more of what our authentic faith is. I grasp a little bit more. And in order to do that, Lord, that means we have to grasp a little bit more on who you are and how you love us. You have to teach us how to live because we don't have it ourselves. So Lord, we pray that you will do this work in us. We don't want to turn this into let's do better, let's pray better, let's fast better, and let's give better to the poor. Lord, we want to be able to depend on you in all these things. We pray that you would do that in your grace and your love. Amen. There was, um, I'll let you set this up as you need it. There was one question that came through, um, and I'll read it as we go. I think that sometimes when nobody says anything, okay, this is great. So this is about the open prayer time, um, whether it's probably, I would assume, could probably apply to Sundays or missional communities or whatever. I think that sometimes when nobody says anything in the first 30 seconds of open prayer, yep, it may not be fear, but just people gathering their thoughts, yep, totally true, especially for introverts, Paula, introverts. Um, could it be okay to have a few minutes of silence to listen to him? This is a great question. Could it be to have a few minutes of silence to listen to him and wait on him before we speak and not be afraid of the silence? That is a fantastic idea. Whoever wrote that, yes, I totally agree. I don't know, are we doing that today? No, we're not. That's well, fine. I was like, oh, do, do you want to do... Open prayer after that, like... <laughs> you know what? How about, how about we do that right now, and then yeah, at point, whatever point makes sense, you can, we can start singing. Yeah, so um, whoever, this, whoever put this in, fantastic. So we will just have a few minutes of silence, and you don't have to pray right away. Um, we don't have to be afraid of the silence either. Um, and, but if you want to pray something to God, definitely do that. In fact, that was one of the most attractive things for the early church when it first began, is people from all kinds of backgrounds all kinds of classes, um, all came and they were all equal, f- in, in, literally just in, an, in an open prayer time. And I think the same kind of thing for us today. I want to hear other people's voices. It would be fantastic. At the same time, there's no pressure for everyone to have to pray. Again, don't turn it into the religious thing. You know, It's, it's a difficult line, right? And so um, we'll just leave the space open and we'll let God do what he does. Lord, we thank you for um, doing what you do. 